Hey, good morning, Ethos. My name's Dave, and wherever you're at, whomever you're with, I hope you're having just an awesome Sunday. If you're in Nashville with your people, or maybe you're joining us from somewhere else, uh, so honored that we get to be together. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, get out something to take notes with. And as you're doing that, I want to just take the next couple of minutes before we jump into our kind of time in the Word to orient you to what's about to happen over the next 10 weeks. So today, we're starting a new teaching series called The Gospel of the Kingdom, and maybe you hear that and you go, yes, or maybe you're like, what is this? Like, hopefully over the next 10 weeks, we'll explain that to you um, quite adequately. But I, I want to make sure you're kind of oriented around what this is going to feel like and how we're going to do this. You know, typically on Sunday mornings at Ethos, we take one passage of Scripture, we dive straight into that one passage, and that's kind of it for our time together. Uh, but over the next 10 weeks, we're doing something that'll feel maybe a little bit more like a cross between our Sunday mornings and our grow classes where we don't just take one passage of Scripture, but we look at a lot of Scripture. We look at a lot of big ideas over the next 10 weeks. In fact, we're going to kind of go, what is the gospel of the kingdom and how do we understand that from the beginning of the Scriptures to the end? And so every week, there's going to be no way that we can fit everything that we want to say into 25 or 30 minutes. So we've created all these resources for you. You can go to ethoschurch.org forward slash daily, and you'll see teaching notes from today's sermon that you can download, stuff on the front, places to write on the back. Uh, you'll see a daily reading plan that you can download that starts tomorrow that will take us through the next 10 weeks to give you more content, more things to pray through, process. Every morning, Monday through Friday, beginning tomorrow, all the way up until Easter, we're going to have a daily prayer call where we're praying through what we're about to talk about. So I'd encourage you to jump on at 7 a.m. and pray with us. And there will be several uh, weeks um, throughout this teaching series where on Tuesday nights where we're going to offer a special class. You don't even have to sign up for it. Just jump online, and we're going to dive in more deeply to what we talked about on Sunday. It's kind of the, the director's cut version, you know, hey, here's all the stuff we couldn't get to where we just explore. We're going to have that. We're going to have podcasts. We have visual uh, aids and timelines. All of that stuff you can download at ethoschurch.org forward slash daily. And so this morning, as we're kind of going through this or whatever time it is that you're watching this teaching, as you think, man, where did he get that? Or he just said that verse, but I can't catch it. Go online, download the resources, dive in. The goal is not to finish the conversation for you in the Sunday kind of teaching slot. It's to get the conversation started and then in community for us to reflect on it, to share it, to retell it, to, to make sure that God's like really driving it uh, into our heart together. And so if I had to kind of set up what we're about to do over the next 30 minutes, just pretend I'm giving you a, a blank piece of paper and a pen, and together we're going to kind of draw the outline of where we're going over the next 10 weeks. And then we're gonna start putting a little color on the page. It's like we're drawing the coloring sheet. We're gonna put a little bit of color on the page. We're not gonna color the whole thing in. I'm gonna introduce a lot of things that I'm not gonna fully unpack today, that I'm not gonna fully summarize. Uh, that's gonna come over the next 10 weeks. And so uh, write your questions down, send them in if you wanna talk about it. But we're gonna just kinda unfold this week after week. And so I wanna encourage you, don't listen passively. Don't just kinda sit back casually, lean in, take notes. Pause, write, like do whatever you need to do to like really take this in because I think God has something for us. And so I'm going to pray. We'll jump in uh, to Matthew 4. That can be our launching pad, but we're going to go a lot of places today. So Father, I love you. I thank you so much for the gift of this church family uh, here in Nashville and scattered all across the world. God, I thank you for the gift of your word. I thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. 
And Father, I just ask like right now, as I'm teaching, as I'm opening the scriptures, would you teach me? Would you speak to me? Would you speak to all of us? Would you do something within us? And Lord, we don't want this information to just rest in our minds or to sit in our hearts. We want it to just flow through our lives and to bear good fruit. And so God, would you help that to happen? In the name of Jesus, I pray and give thanks. Amen. Amen. When I was a freshman in college, I uh, I learned a lesson, or maybe a better way of saying it is I relearned a lesson that I learned many times earlier in my life, and that is that sometimes when you're in a room where you don't know what's going on, where you don't know what people are talking about, sometimes if you want to fit in, it's better to, to just fake it until you make it than actually ask. But I remember uh, learning this lesson again. Uh, I was a freshman in college. I was studying theology, and so I'm sitting in this uh, theology class with other freshmen and upperclassmen with this professor whom over the next several years I just grew to love, became one of my favorite professors. But this one day in particular, I'm sitting there, and this professor, he keeps using this theological term that I'd heard it before, but if I'm being really honest, I had no clue what that word meant. And I'm old. This was before smartphones, so I couldn't just look it up on my phone in class. I'm like sitting there, and I'm going, man, what's this word mean? And I'm like looking around the room, and it's obvious that everybody else, either they knew what that word meant or they were faking it really well. And and I don't know if you ever had one of those moments where you're sitting in a conversation and you go, I don't know what's happening here, but I don't want them to know that I don't know what's happening here. But after a few minutes, I got past my pride and I thought, I'm paying a lot for this education and <laughs> I'm supposed to learn, so I'm just going to ask a question. And so I had this moment of just like kind of courageous vulnerability. Maybe you've been there before. And I, I raised my hand and I said, hey, could you just explain that word you keep using? And like I said, this is a professor that I grew to love, but he had kind of <laughs> a weak moment where... He looked at me, he kind of smirked and laughed, and he said, does anybody in the class care to enlighten Dave on what that word means? And this upperclassman looked at me and, and, and in the most smart alecky way just kind of said, this is what it means, and then everybody laughed. And it was one of those moments where that, that lesson that I learned earlier in my life that sometimes if you want to fit in, you just have to fake it till you make it, just kind of sunk in and I thought, okay, I've just learned the rules. Like in this space, there's certain things I can't ask questions about. Like in this space, there's certain things I'm going to go find out somewhere else and then come back with the level of knowledge. And guys, we, we've all learned that. Like, I'm fine. Don't feel sorry for me. But we've all learned that lesson. You know, maybe for you, it was sitting around the middle school lunch table and your friends were talking about something. And you learned the hard way what happens when you bring your ignorance into the light. Or maybe it's at that new job that you just took, and you're there, and all of uh, your friends or coworkers that are working on that project with you, they're using terminology, or they're talking about deadlines, and you go, I don't know what to do here, but if I say it out loud, I'm going to look like an idiot, and they'll regret that they hired me. I think one of the greatest shames is not what happens in the lunchroom or in the boardroom or anywhere else, but what happens in churches where so often we use language, we talk about things that we pretend we all understand, we pretend we all know, and yet like deep in our heart, there's these areas of uncertainty and uh, I just want to encourage you, as we go into the next 10 weeks together, as we're wrestling with this really significant phrase that we're going to unpack week by week by week, I'm just telling you, there's going to be this thing that's going to well up in so many of you, especially if you've been in church for a long time. There's going to be this tendency to just feel this like little nagging voice of shame that goes, I should already know this by now. I, I should have figured this out. And I just want to say this with like all the gentleness and the love I know how to say it. Uh, unless you are willing to open yourself up to the reality of your own ignorance, of, of your own um, insufficiency in some areas. We all have it. I have it. You have it. We all have it. Unless we can open ourselves up vulnerably to the things that we don't know, we seal ourselves off to the things that God's trying to teach us. 
And I'm just convinced there's some stuff that the Holy Spirit wants to deposit in your life, not just for you, but for the sake of those that are around you. But if we have this wall of like pride and of ego and of self-sufficiency and going, hey, I've got it all figured out, I'm just telling you, you'll shut yourself off to what God is trying to do. So I, I wish like I could see you right now. I wish I wasn't preaching to a camera. I wish we were in a room together and we could just kind of all like, you know, make a pinky, pinky promise, like make a pact together to say, hey, can we just make an agreement over the next 10 weeks that when we don't know something, it's okay. And we'll open ourselves up to whatever God's trying to teach us. We'll open the scriptures. We'll open ourselves to community. We'll be vulnerable. Can we make an agreement that we'll dig in, we'll, we'll take notes, we'll study the scriptures? Like, I know I'm kind of belaboring this point, but it's just so important because what I know about church is our tendency is to sit in the classroom, to have no idea what's going on, to never raise our hand, and to keep moving forward. And, and, and we miss out on what God's trying to do. And so would you be that kind of person over the next 10 weeks? Would you, would you look at the people that you're with right now and say, hey, can we just be a safe space for exploration? Can we be a safe space for not knowing all of the answers to all of the questions because maybe God wants to speak to us and I believe God has so much more for you. And so for the next 10 weeks, we're gonna, we're gonna unpack this phrase that is so often used and rarely understood. In fact, I remember several years ago, uh, being at this pastor's meeting, pastors had come in from all over for two days and the whole goal was just to come to a collective understanding of how they would talk about this phrase. And I remember getting to the end of those two days and going, man, we're no closer to being able to talk about this than we were when we got here. And I just thought, man, this is crazy. If, if this group of Christian brothers and sisters have confusion about this, what's going on in pews all across America? Like what's happening in, in, in the space? If, if, if we're familiar with the term, but we don't understand it, how do we gain clarity? And yet this phrase that we're gonna look at for the next 10 weeks, it was, it was front and center in the, the message and the teaching of Jesus. It was front and center in the life of the apostles. In fact, the book of Acts begins with this phrase, and it ends with Paul in house arrest in Acts 28, like we looked at last week, teaching about this phrase. This phrase is the centerpiece of what Jesus sends us out to do in Mark chapter 16, where he says, here's what I want you to go, and he talks about this phrase. He says, I want you to take this to the ends of the earth. And I go, man, if it was central to Jesus's teaching, if it was central to the early church's mission, if it is the heartbeat of what we've been commissioned to do, then I go, it's worth taking 10 weeks to make sure we understand what it is that Jesus is actually talking about. So what is this phrase? Look at Matthew chapter four with me. We're gonna start in verse 23. It says, Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in the synagogues. Here's the phrase and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Some of your Bibles say proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom, that's the phrase. So if you're sitting here going, wait, what are we talking? The gospel of the kingdom. That's where we're going for the next 10 weeks. And healing every disease and sickness among the people and news about Jesus spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed. And he healed them in large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region all across the Jordan began to follow Jesus. So I, I just want you to notice this. Like Jesus shows up and he goes to every village, every place, and he comes with the declaration of this message that's summed up in the phrase, the gospel of the kingdom. So today I, I kind of have a tall task, and in the next 20 minutes I'm going to try to do three things, and uh, you can let me know how I do at the end of this. You can send me a message and say, Dave, you blew it, like you should have taken longer. 
you should have aimed lower, but like three tasks that I'm gonna try to accomplish this morning. Number one is that as a church, we come away with a shared understanding of what the word gospel even means. I don't want us using words that we don't understand what they mean. So number one, like can we have a shared understanding of what that word actually means? Number two, I want us to have a shared understanding of where the gospel proclamation actually begins. Does it begin in the New Testament books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what we call the Gospels? Does it begin with the life of Jesus or the death of Jesus or maybe the resurrection of Jesus? Or does it begin somewhere else altogether different? Like, where does this proclamation of the Gospel begin? And last but not least, I want to take our last few minutes to unpack why I think this matters. You know, at the end of what's been such a crazy year, uh, all this stuff's going on. Like, like, why are we talking about this? Like, why, why is this the focus for the next ten weeks? So, what does it mean? Where does it begin? And why does it matter? So, let's start with what the word gospel actually means. So, I don't know if you know this or not, but your Bible, uh, in the original language, uh, was written primarily in three different languages: the Old Testament, primarily in Hebrew; the New Testament, primarily in Greek; and. Uh, a little bit of Aramaic was kind of scattered uh, in between. And you see this word gospel pop up in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's the Hebrew word basir. In the New Testament, it's the Greek word euangelion. And both are translated to mean the same thing. So if you want to write down a definition, like on the most basic level, what does the word gospel mean? The word gospel means the good news or the good announcement. So we use that phrase good news all the time, like in our culture, you know, oh, you got that job, that's great, that's good news. Like, or, hey, you got a raise, good news. Or you got into grad school, good news. Or you proposed her and she said yes, that's like really good news, unless you like her too and you wish it wasn't gonna work for your sake, you know, maybe it's not good news. But we use good news all the time, like that's, that's, that's good news. That's good news, that's good news. Uh, but the problem is, like, when the earliest followers of Jesus would hear this phrase, the good news or the gospel, they didn't just hear it in the context of everyday kind of ordinary, oh, you got into grad school, she said yes, you got to raise kind of good news. Like, they heard something totally different. The word basir, the word euangelion, it actually referred to a royal announcement. It was a special kind of good news. It was a good news that referred to what was happening with the king and his kingdom. It'd sort of be like one of your friends, you know, at lunch saying, hey, did you listen to the State of the Union the other night? Immediately, your mind would go somewhere. You'd go, oh, okay, this is a statement about what's happening in our nation. It affects all of us. This is a statement about what's happening here. When, when they would hear the gospel of David or the gospel of Nebuchadnezzar or the gospel of Caesar or the gospel of Jesus, some of you are going, wait, gospel? Like, they would hear it through the lens of a, a statement about a king and his kingdom and what it meant for all of the people that were with them. They didn't hear that word, good news, or gospel the way that we do. And so, like, even when I said gospel earlier, I know for some of you, especially if you grew up in church, there were images that started just flooding your mind. You started thinking of, about religious things and spiritual things and personal things and future things because typically when we hear the word gospel, that's what we hear. We hear, oh, this is a spiritual message. Oh, this is dealing with my morality. This is dealing with my ethics. And although the gospel of the kingdom touches on all of that, guys, it is so much bigger than that. It is so much bigger than that. Like when Jesus' earliest followers heard, him sh uh, uh, heard Jesus stand up in a synagogue and say, I'm here with the gospel of the kingdom, they didn't receive it as just a moralistic, philosophical, personal, salvific message where they go, oh, he's trying to, Help me feel better so I can make it into the future. That's not at all what they heard. They went, whoa, this is, this is like national insurrection. This is a statement. Wait, we already, Caesar's king, right? <laughs> Jesus goes, I'm here with the gospel. 
The gospel, it was good news. It was a, a declaration about a king in his kingdom and what it meant for everybody. So the earliest followers, they would have never just heard it through the lens of physical person, all those small things. They would have gone, whoa, this is so much bigger. And so in Luke chapter two, when Jesus is born and the angels rip open the heavens and they come, do you remember what they came? They came proclaiming the gospel. It was a royal declaration to those shepherds. They said, here's the royal declaration. A king has been born and that king is bringing peace on earth. It's a royal declaration, and the shepherds would have heard it that way. It wasn't just a spiritual message. It wasn't just something to kind of help you deal with your behavior that's gotten out of whack. It was something that would change everything. And so for us to have a shared understanding of the gospel, one of the things that I'm praying is over the next 10 weeks is that God will take our understanding of it, whatever it is for you, and he'll just begin to expand the borders of our imagination and our heart because it changes the way we view everything. And so in the New Testament, when the New Testament writers uh, would use this word gospel. It was their shorthand way of saying, hey, this is the good news about everything that God has done, everything that God is doing, and everything that God will do as he brings his kingdom to bear. It was a royal, heavenly announcement, proclamation that they knew impacted absolutely everything. And so, so what are we talking about when we talk about the gospel? It's a royal announcement from heaven about what God has done, is doing, and will do. So that's task number one. You can let me know later if, if I did good with it or not. Tried my very best. Point number two, not just what does it mean, but like where does it begin? So if this royal announcement of Jesus's life and death and resurrection, does it, does it begin with Jesus? Does it begin there? Does it begin on the first page of Matthew. Like, where does the gospel begin? Because it's important when you understand where it begins, it helps you understand actually where it's going. Like, where, where does this good news begin? Although the, the, the New Testament books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John give us incredible insight into the gospel of the kingdom, I think it's important for us to understand it doesn't start there. Because if you think back to Matthew chapter four, you know, Jesus, he's, he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He's preaching it at the very beginning of his ministry. And so, 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 so often I'll talk to, to Christians and I'll say, tell me the gospel. Like, how would you explain it? And it almost always starts this way. And if, if you've shared this before, don't feel bad about this. This is, this is not bad. Like, you, you haven't failed. Um, so don't hear any shame on this. But a lot of times Christians will say, here's the gospel. I'm a sinner. And Jesus died for my sins so that one day I can be with him forever in the kingdom of heaven. And, and that's a part of the gospel. That's a beautiful, significant part of the gospel. I love that you've embraced that. But I want you to notice when Jesus was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom in Matthew chapter 4, he hadn't died on the cross yet. He hadn't raised from the dead yet. He hadn't returned from heaven. He hadn't sent the Holy Spirit to, to be in the church yet. And so I go, what was it that he was proclaiming before the cross, before the resurrection, before all? Like, what was he proclaiming? And if you take notes, here's what I want us to kind of hold on to together today, is that the gospel, it's not just the, the, the good news or royal announcement, but the gospel begins with the good news of a loving father who's also our powerful king. But the gospel, it begins with the good news of God, not the bad news of who you are. Now, some of you are sitting here going, wait, what? Like, the good news begins with the good news? The gospel begins with the good news? See, a lot of us have been trained to believe that the gospel begins with bad news. We go, what's the gospel? Well, you're a sinner. Yeah, we are sinners, but that's not where it begins. Like, like, like God is not a cosmic police officer. He's not the one that's just been shown up to break you out of the mess that you've, it, like the story actually doesn't start with you. It's important. Like you can look at somebody in the room that you're with right now and say, hey, the gospel doesn't start with you. Did you know that? <laughs> Did you know the gospel of the kingdom doesn't start with you? The gospel starts with God. 
The gospel starts with who he is, this loving father, this powerful king. I love Genesis chapter one. I love Genesis chapter one. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens, the earth, and goes on, and it describes this loving father creating the world. And do you remember what he says after everything he creates? He's like, man, that's good. <laughs> that's good. I almost imagine him just laughing. Like, like he makes animals. He's like, whoa, it's awesome. He makes the mountains. Whoa, it's awesome. Then he creates human beings. Do you remember what he does? He goes, now this, this is very good. Like, this is in a different category of good. Did you know, like, when your Heavenly Father looks at you, He looks at you, and He sees you in a different category of good? <laughs> like, like, we take trips to the Rocky Mountains, and we go, whoa, look at that's amazing. And God's like, yeah, it's amazing, I made it. He says, but have you looked in the mirror recently? Do you know who you are? See, see the gospel, this royal decree, this royal announcement, it's why Jesus, when He shows up, the Sermon on the Mount, which was like His inauguration speech, He shows up. And do you remember how he begins it? He says, blessed are those that are poor in spirit. He starts talking. Blessed are those that are grieving. Blessed are those that are mourning. And he knew that those people over time had lost the ability to look into the mirror and to realize who they were because of who God was. It's like, whoa. The gospel, it begins with this heavenly announcement that you have a good, good father who is also a powerful king. Like, I love what happens as you read Genesis 1 and 2. See, most of us tend to think about the gospel when we start in Genesis 3 when the devil enters the world and sin enters the world. And we'll talk about that next week. But before any of that happens, you have a loving father. He's creating. He's laughing. He's dancing. He's singing. He's eating. He's hanging out with the kids. It's a picture of your dad when he used to go on vacation with you and your family. And you can think back to that. He worked like crazy except on vacation. And you'd be sitting there, and your dad would be so wholehearted, so alive. For some of you, that's your memory, right? I, I go, when I read Genesis 1 and 2, that's a picture I see. It's a father filled with love, filled with joy, filled with generosity, filled with creativity, inviting his kids into all of it. This is what Jesus picks up on. Uh, I love this prayer. He doesn't pick up on it. He comes to to share this with us. You know, Matthew chapter 6, he says, this is how you relate. This is his inauguration address to to the people that are going to become the inheritance of his kingdom. He looks at him and he says, here's how you talk with your father, our father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your what? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says, hey, here is the longing. Here is, here, here is the, the reality is that this gospel story, this gospel story, it begins with a loving father who has a powerful kingdom who wants to share all of that so beautifully and generously with his creation. And when you understand that that is where it begins, you'll understand where it goes. And so each week, we're just going to look at one part of this story. And so uh, I love this. If I had to kind of sum, uh, summarize the undercurrent of this first part of the gospel story, I'd say it like this is that the first part of the gospel is that you have a loving father and a powerful king who's willing to do whatever it takes to rescue his kids and to restore the kingdom to its intended purpose. That this is kind of the first part of the gospel, that you have a loving father who's a powerful king who's willing to do whatever it takes to rescue all of his kids and to restore the kingdom to its full potential, to its full purposes. It's why we watch every Liam Neeson movie that comes out, you know, Taken 1, Taken 2, Taken 19, Taken 22. It's all the same story, but why do we keep coming back to it? We come back to it because it's a foretaste, it's a glimpse in some ways of the gospel story. There's a father willing to do whatever it takes to rescue his kids and to restore things to the rightful order. And so next week we'll talk about like, okay, who do we need rescue from? 
and what is it that needs to be restored. But I want us to start with where the gospel actually starts, and that is that you have a loving Father and a powerful King. So what, is it, what does the word mean, gospel? It's a heaven's royal declaration. Where does it begin? It begins... It begins with the loving Father and powerful King. I love what Paul says in Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to just start in verse 4. You'll see this on the screen. He says, But when the time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship, because you are his sons. God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father who cries out, Daddy. So you no longer live as a slave, but as God's child. And since you are God's child, God has also made you an heir. Paul says, let me explain. He says, Jesus has shown up. He is preaching this gospel of the kingdom. He lays his life down so you can enter into the kingdom. And at the, at the core reality, what Jesus is doing is he is reintroducing you to this reality that you have a loving father who has a kingdom, you're his beloved child, and you are an heir of all of that goodness that's getting ready to come. And that's why I love Easter Sunday so much, because Easter Sunday reminds me I don't need a retirement plan because I have a resurrection plan. That one day when Christ raises me from the dead, I'm in an, uh, I share in the inheritance of this beautiful eternal kingdom. And I go, whoa. And so it gives us this boldness to live and to love and to act in ways that nobody else can do. And so what is the gospel and where does it begin? Last but not least, my last task for today is why does it matter? Like after the year that we've just had, you know, maybe you're sitting here going, okay, Dave, this is all good, but my marriage is struggling and I lost my job and my first year in college wasn't what I expected it to be and my mental health has been a mess and my faith has been this up and down. Like, can't we talk about something more practical? And, and here's why we're spending the next 10 weeks doing this is because I know that what we need when we find ourselves in the dustbin of life is we need the practical reality of the gospel, not just private, personal, moralistic, religious philosophy that we tend to think of as Americans when we use the word gospel, but this wholehearted, life-changing, touches everything in my sphere of influence, gospel announcement from heaven. This is who the Father is. This is who you are. This is what Jesus has done. This is where it's going. Because the scriptures say, like, when, when we really begin to understand this, the gospel begins to do something in us that new habits can't do, that, that self-help books can't do, that, that good friends with good advice can't do. None of those things are wrong. I hope, you're, I hope you're leveraging all of those things to grow as a human being. But what we need when we're in the pit is the gospel to not just get our minds and not just get our hearts, but to come all the way down into the context of our lives. I love the way the scriptures talk about why the gospel matters. You know, Paul in Romans 1.16 would say the gospel matters because he says, I'm not ashamed of this crazy story that you have a loving father and a king who sent his son to die for you, to, to bring you into this eternal kingdom. He says, I'm not ashamed of it. Listen to this, because the gospel has the power to change your life. It is the power of God to change your life. So what I know is even over the next 10 weeks, no matter what mess is going on in your life, the more I talk about this loving Father, the more we talk about His coming kingdom, the more we talk about what He's done, what He's doing, what He will do, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the reading of God's Word in the context of community, God is going to save you out of the mess that we've all put ourselves in. It's who He is. It's what He does. That the gospel is the power of God to save lives, but it doesn't just save us, it sanctifies us. This is why it matters. I love how Jesus talks about it in John chapter 17, verse 17. He's praying, he's talking with his father, and he says, hey, father, he says, I've shared this gospel. I've shared this word with them. Listen to this. 
And it's this message that has the power to sanctify them. That, that word sanctify just literally means to mature, to grow, to strengthen. It's like, hey, you've been given the keys to the car, salvation, but now you're learning how to drive it. You've been saved out of the mess, but now you're learning how to live as a free person. Like, as the gospel comes in, it doesn't just pull us out of the muck. It doesn't just pull us out of the mire. It actually strengthens, it, it matures us, it sanctifies us. The gospel strengthens us from the inside out. This is why it matters. This is why we're taking 10 weeks on it. I love how Paul, you know, last week we, we ended the book of Acts with him preaching in Rome about the gospel of the kingdom. And when he writes a letter to the Roman church at the end of Romans 16, he ends by reminding them about the power of the gospel of the kingdom. He says, he says when you believe this gospel, he says, God comes in through that belief and strengthens you. That's Romans 16, verse 25, that God strengthens you in your inner being through the belief of the gospel. And you go, well, how's that work? How's that work? And we'll unpack that more in the weeks ahead. I'm just telling you, there's been so many moments where things were falling apart for me, relationships or at work or things were coming down. And all of a sudden, I'm trying to grasp for my sense of self-worth and identity and all of these things that are shaking. And then the words of the gospel come in that go, hey, Dave, you're my beloved son. I'm your father. I see you, I've got a coming kingdom, I'm working to restore you, I've got a plan for you, look at what Jesus has done. And something happens as that gospel comes in, it doesn't just save us, it doesn't just mature us and sanctifies us, it strengthens us from the inside out, where all of a sudden we face whatever comes our way. Why does it matter? Why does it matter? Because it saves us, sanctifies us, it strengthens us. I'll give you one more, it sends us. I love, you know, Jesus in Matthew 4, he's gone around and he's taught all these villages the gospel of the kingdom. And then in Luke chapter 10, we get the story of him sending out his disciples to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom because what happens is when the gospel comes in, it, it may find you in the mess, but it never leaves you there. It always sends you out. It sends you out not just with a, a renewed vision of yourself and of the world around you, but it gives you a higher view of all of the people around you, that person at work, that kid in your class that's driving you crazy, uh, that person on your football team, like whatever it is, like uh, the, the Lord comes in by the power of the gospel and all of a sudden you see the people around you, not as just someone to endure or to enjoy or to use, but someone to bless, someone to strengthen, someone to speak hope and life to, because you know that by the grace of Jesus, you'll both have the opportunity to enjoy the eternal kingdom together forever. And so this gospel comes in and it sends us. And so what is it? It's this heavenly proclamation about what God has done and is doing and will do. It starts with the declaration that you have a loving Father who has a powerful kingdom that he wants to share with you forever. And he's willing to do whatever it takes to restore you and restore the kingdom. And it matters because as we take this message into us, like really take it into us, it saves us, sanctifies us, it strengthens us and sends us. So the question that we're gonna have to wrestle with every single week over the next 10 weeks is what do we do with this gospel? Like, like, like what do we do even with that simple little idea that I gave you today that you have a loving father and a, he has a kingdom that he wants to share with you. Like what do you do with that? Like it's tempting to just listen to it and then to turn off the TV in a few minutes and to, to eat lunch and to hang out and go about your day. I'm just telling you the invitation is so much deeper than that. And I think not just today, but over the next several uh, months together, every week, you're gonna have to just decide whether or not you do a couple of things. You're gonna have to decide whether or not you will open your heart to receive the absurdity and the generosity and the reality of this love that the gospel of the kingdom is trying to make available to you. 
Guys, it is uncomfortable to be loved by God this much. I'm just telling you, because I think so many of us, we're just so steeped in sin and shame and such a broken view of who we are, this idea that God would want you to be with him forever, to share in that love. I love what Jesus prays in John 17, verse 24. He says, Father, he says, my desire is that all of these people would be with me forever and that they would experience, listen to this, John 17, verse 24, that they would experience the love that you have poured out on me since the beginning of the world before the creation. Like Jesus says, before creation ever begun, he said, it's just Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, just perfect love, and he says, I want all of humanity to experience and to taste that. And I'm just telling you, when you really stop to think about that, that is an uncomfortable reality to receive. Like you're really loved that much by this amazing God. And so much of this, we just have to open up our hearts, you know, on a daily basis, I'll literally, all three of my boys, I'll grab their face, I'll look them straight in the eyes, and I'm like, hey, do you know how much I love you? <laughs> Do you know how much your mom loves you? Do you know how much we love you? And what I know is I can say it and I can try to show it, but unless God supernaturally does something in their hearts, they'll never understand how deep that reservoir of love goes for them. And I know it's true with the Father. So I've just been praying that over the next 10 weeks that you'd open yourself, you'd humble yourself and say, God, is it true? Like, do you really love me like that? So part of the work that you're gonna have to do week after week is to receive it. Part of the work you have to do week after week is you have to be willing to respond to whatever God's doing in your life. You know, So the gospel will meet you where you are, but it'll never leave you where you are. I love that image in Luke 15 where, where the guy, uh, he squandered his inheritance and he's eating with the pigs. He has this kind of moment of enlightenment. He says he comes to his senses. He has revelation. Something happens. But he doesn't stay where he's at. He gets on his feet and he begins to walk back to the Father's house, even with all of his broken understanding of what's going to happen when he gets there. He, he moves. See, the gospel calls you to move. The gospel calls you to take a step. Sometimes it's a step of faith. Sometimes it's an act of obedience. Sometimes it's into the waters of baptism. Sometimes it's across the yard to, to go see that person. But the gospel, it'll always call you to respond. It'll always call you to move in some way. And so in Luke 15, that young son, he goes home, and it's one of the most beautiful pictures of what we've talked about today because he goes home expecting for his dad to yell, at him. Instead, his father pours out this generous love that he doesn't even know how to receive, puts a royal robe on him, treats him like the son that never squandered the inheritance. It's a picture, guys, of what we're being drawn to. And I think about this every time I go home to visit my parents. And, uh, you know, we don't have a perfect family. I don't have perfect parents, but I had such good parents. And every time I go home to visit, it's just a taste test for me of that moment where one day I believe I'm gonna like walk into the eternal kingdom and, and see the Lord. Here's what I mean by that, you know. Every time I come home, uh, my, my parents are so eager. You know, the, the, the house is filled with my favorite foods. Uh, the fridge is filled with our favorite drinks. My dad gets my surfboards out, so in the morning I don't have to do anything. You just grab them and go to the beach. Like, they're ready for us. And never once did I remember driving home into my parents' driveway and us getting out of the car and them just sitting on the couch. Hey, glad you're here. Like the moment they hear the car door shut, they run out on the porch. They're there. It's that Luke 15 picture. It's this, it's this love, but here's the deal. We don't, I don't just receive that truth for them. I have to move toward it. I have to respond toward it. I have to move toward them. I have to go. And, and you're going to see that all throughout the next 10 weeks. You're going to have to receive this. You're going to have to respond to whatever God's calling you to do in obedience. And last but not least, you're going to have to make the commitment to keep retelling, to just keep retelling yourself and the people around you just the simple, the simple, robust, heavenly declaration about who God is and what he's doing. You know, for some of you, it's just waking up every morning this week and you're going to go, okay, okay, Father, I'm going to preach the gospel to myself. You are my loving Father. I am your beloved kid in Jesus and you have a kingdom that's waiting for me. Like, for some of you, you need to just retell it to yourself this week. Uh, but I want to encourage you, don't stop there. 
Like, ask the Lord this week to give you opportunities to encounter people that are kind of like in the pit of life. And I just want to challenge you to look them in the eyes and with great sincerity. You don't have to share the whole story yet. Just share part of the gospel. Hey, do you know you have a loving father? He has an eternal kingdom that he wants to restore you into. That's what John talked about. I love John chapter 1, verse 12. He says, he says, whenever we believe, whenever we let the gospel not just hit our minds or our hearts, our experiences, but when it comes down into that subconscious place in our life, he says, when, whenever we believe, we're given the right to become the children of God. I just want to ask you, do you believe this? Do you believe you have a loving Father who has a great kingdom and that He's willing to do whatever it takes to restore you into that? You know, next week, we're going to talk about like what it is that He's restoring you from and where it is that it's going. But I just want to ask you to stop right there. Like, Do you believe? Have you received that? Where is He calling you to respond to that? And who do you need to tell about it today? We're going to, we're going to worship. We're going to take communion. I want to invite you to get in groups with whoever you're with or maybe meet up with a friend this week for coffee or for lunch and to process what's going on in your heart. But I just want to invite you to just kind of sit in this and go, okay, um, have I received this as the royal declaration that it is? Do I know my loving Father? Like, do I understand why this matters? And how are you calling me to live this out? So, Father, I love you. I thank you for this journey that we're getting ready to embark upon. God, would you fill us by the power of your Holy Spirit as we read your word? Would you help us to understand all of the different facets of, of what um, you are teaching us here, King Jesus? Uh, we love you. God, I thank you for what you do in our lives when we receive this. And Lord, would you break through any areas of unbelief in me, in our church? Would you help us to come with humility and to open ourselves up to this story that's been unfolding since the beginning of time and help us to find ourselves in the middle of it? We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your death. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for your future return. Thank you for making a way for me to be a part of this story. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I love you. Let's worship together, and then we'll take communion.